can I get my soul back? And we'd be like, no, you've given it to us for, for, for a lifetime, for eternity, so you, you can't have it back. Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Today we're going to talk about murdering your thirst. Sorry, it's like there's something in my throat. This keeps happening ever since I got my t-shirt from Liquid Death. What do those terms say when I signed up for text messages? Let me see. You agree to be brainwashed by Liquid Death marketing. Ah. Well, I figured it was worth putting my soul on the line to bring you some behind-the-scenes content from one of the hottest brands in CPG. Just a few months ago, in October 2022, Liquid Death Mountain Water closed a 70 million Series D round that valued the company at $700 million. Their products are in over 60,000 retailers nationwide. They have over 160 employees, and they were only founded in 2018, so things are just getting started. Hamid Safi, Liquid Death's SVP of Digital Retail, one of the company's first hires and a longtime Slack community member, joins us today to dig into how he and the team at Liquid Death create such incredible marketing and branding. Listen in as Hamid shares about Liquid Death's early days testing paid social ads, video content, copywriting, community building, and choosing to focus on niches like action sports and heavy metal. Why their marketing is entertainment-led rather than product feature-led, including some of Hamid's favorite campaigns, like the one that included drawing Tony Hawk's blood, how starting with a focus on e-commerce helped their eventual retail expansion, how they've used Amazon DSP and why they've 10x their investment in Amazon in the last year and a half, the importance of bridging the physical and digital worlds and their work on Instacart, a new rewards program, and frequent merch drops, the details behind joining their country club and how some people want their souls back, how Hamid and team noticed something magical happening in their reviews and used it as a community building moment, and so much more. So crack open a can of Liquid Death and enjoy the conversation. Hi, Hamid. Welcome to the show today. How are you? Hey, what's going on, Jesse? How are you? Doing really well. So excited to talk with you today. I'm a big Liquid Death fan. Personally, my friend group is. Um, and then Startup CBG, we're all fans. So it's just so fun to get to have you here today and get to to learn more. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. And can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and about Liquid Death for those that might not be familiar? Yeah, for sure. And thanks for having me on. Uh, again, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I'm Hamid Safi. I'm the SVP of Digital Retail at Liquid Death. Um, I started with the brand from the beginning back in 2019 when we launched. Uh, I ran marketing for for about a year and a half and then e-com for the last probably like year and a half. And then most recently building up this new practice around digital retail, which encompasses everything from Amazon to delivery apps to our retailer.coms, retailer media. So kind of been responsible for that. So yeah, definitely seen the brand grow from seed round to now series D and where we are today. So it's been pretty insane to kind of see how far we've come. Um, Liquid Death is uh, a premium water brand. Um, we sell five SKUs of water right now, two SKUs of unflavored. One is still, one is um, unflavored sparkling. And then we have three flavors of sparkling water as well that launched earlier this year. The brand is known for being pretty irreverent, tongue-in-cheek, really comedy-led kind of a brand that... Um, is really just designed to kind of shake up uh, a pretty stale water category and just make water fun again. That's essentially what our kind of motive and driving factor is just to make water fun again. And yeah, we've been able to really grow the brand pretty insanely since 2019 to where we are today. So it's been a fun ride, but um, that's a kind of a quick high level on the brand and me. Amazing. That's awesome. And just kind of to expand on the stage, you mentioned like Series D. Can you tell us a little bit like, you know, how many how many retailer, what are some of the major retailers? How many total, you know, doors right now? What And what kind of like, you know, what's kind of top of mind for you from a day-to-day -day perspective, just to kind of help us get a further idea of the current stage that you're at? Yeah, sure. So between like 2019 and 2020, almost like the first year and a half of the business, Liquid Death is really an e-com business first and foremost. Um, so we sold through our website, we sold on Amazon as well. We're really trying to build up our presence at retail. Um, as you can imagine, the way that we market and the kind of brand that we are and with a name like Liquid Death, there weren't like distributors and retailers like clamoring to put us <laughs> on sales. So we really used e-com as like a proof point and a case study on for why this brand had momentum and really would be successful at retail. Um, and it wasn't until March 2020 when we had our first national launch, which was at Whole Foods. So 
you know, many people didn't think that, you know, natural and whole foods would probably be the first avenue for us um, in retail, but we have been in Whole Foods since, you know, COVID, um, one of the fastest growing brands ever at Whole Foods, been able to really crush it. And then where we are today is we have about 70,000 retail doors that we're in everywhere, anything from, you know, C stores like 7-Eleven to Nationwide with Whole Foods and Target um, and Albertson, Kroger and so forth. So yeah, the brand has grown pretty significantly at retail and it's now more of a retail business than it is an e-com business. Both sides are growing, um, but you know, you, as everyone knows with CPG, you really have to be within like a one to two block radius of people at any point in time to pick up liquid death. And so that's kind of been the focus of the business. Um, in terms of where we are and kind of next phase is, uh, you know, we're going to be releasing some innovation early next year as we get into some new categories like tea. Um, we're going to have, you know, a, another flavor of sparkling that we're going to launch as well. Um, and then we're going to continue to push the boundaries on really thinking of Liquid Death as not so much as like a purely CPG brand, but more of like an entertainment company, which is really how we are. Um, kind of stuff that we put out, the kind of content that we make, um, things that obviously do well in terms of capturing awareness. But also we have all this stuff going on behind the scenes, which is really the things I'm focused on around like, how do we activate? How do we spend money on retailer platforms? How do we continue to grow on our Amazon side of the business? How do we crush at Instacart? Um, and all those things just kind of move retail velocities up using digital channels. Yeah, amazing. Excited to dig into a lot of those pieces. That's so cool. And I'm curious for your yourself, you mentioned a little bit your like career journey in different positions. Like how many people were at the company when you joined like versus now? Yeah. So yeah, a bit of a background. So Mike, who's our CEO and really the creative visionary behind Liquid Death, um, co-founder, uh, him and I worked together in advertising for a couple of years and we were working, you know, on a pretty big like CPG holding company. And, you know, we would just see ideas go from really good ideas to like really watered down and distilled ideas. Um, and Mike first mentioned Liquid Death to me, I don't know, maybe back in 2017 or 2016 or so. And I just thought it was like the most insane, dumb, dumbest idea you could ever think of. Um, but he started showing me things and I was like, oh man, this really makes a lot of sense. And it's, you know, super cool. Like, I think this could like be something and working in advertising, you generally work on one account at a time and, um, or you're spread across a couple of different accounts and the CPG brand that we had, um, they were consolidating and wanted to move to a, like a global agency and we weren't a global agency. And because of that, we didn't make the cut. And as a result of that, Mike and I both got laid off, uh, on the same day because we lost that piece of business. And so Mike kind of, consulted and freelance for a while. And so did I. And then he just hit me up a couple of months later and was like, Hey, I, you know, I met this guy. He's willing to invest some seed around. Do you want to come and like, you know, do this thing with me and like run marketing? I was like, sure. And so when I first started my first, first official day, um, we had just hired a bunch of people because we just raised some money. And, um, so I think I'm like technically maybe employee number three or four. I, can't, I don't know which one, but I think we had total of nine people around that first month that I started heavily on the sales and distribution side. And now we're 160 plus um, as of right now. So pretty insane growth, um, you know, in the last three years. Yeah. Wow. Can, can you share with us some of the like early days of like, of your, your, you know, your first role there and like what that looked like to kind of get things started in marketing? Yeah. I mean, I think for us early on, it was just trying to get people to um, really understand what the brand was about and be a little bit more disruptive. And when you're an early stage startup, you're throwing, you know, you're throwing shit against the wall and just hoping like anything sticks. Right. So we were doing a lot of things that were like whether they were like paid social ads or bigger kind of campaign videos that we probably wouldn't do now, but it's like, we were just doing them because we were just trying to figure out like, what, what is the thing that would work? But we were on, in an ongoing kind of mindset of just like testing. So early days before it was like a massive team, it's like, I would work on anything from, you know, we would be at the Adult Swim Festival in, in Los Angeles, figuring out like a backdrop for that. And how do we execute there? And how do we take this coffin that we had retrofitted into a cooler? And how do we get into the stadium? And then it was like working on Instagram and Facebook ads and also doing analytics stuff and then also working on investor decks. It was almost like any and everything just to kind of make things happen. Um, and at the time, it's like we weren't necessarily thinking every idea had to scale, but it was like every idea just had to give us like some kind of a data point that we could use for just something in the future, like how to make creative better or how to position an investor deck better or how to 
you know, work with our sales team more closely. So those, that was kind of like early days um, of the business. And then as we kind of built out a team, it became easier to think about, okay, the things that we did, even though we built out a team, it's like we were very purposeful and focused on doing the things that not only made sense for today, but in, in many cases, like almost like future-proof the business as well. So one of the biggest ones was, you know, we launched with just one SKU and we had that one SKU, which is our Stillwater, the white can. Um, for the first 18 months of the business, we didn't have a second SKU. Wow. And that goes very contrary to a lot of CPG brands and, you know, a lot of founders that I talk to. It's like, oh, we're doing these 10 SKUs. And then like six months later, oh, we're going to do this. And now we're going to introduce that. And for us, like we, you know, in terms of just operationally being able to pull things off with excellence, being able to make sure that we had like a good like product market fit, um, that people understood what the brand was about. We did still water and then we did sparkling water 18 months later. And then it took us like another year and a half to do flavors. Um, so we're very methodical and that's kind of the approach that we use for like product development. But then on the content side of things, like the, the approach that we take is, you know, Mike says this really well. It's like, you know, we're like comedians telling jokes every night and we're working our set. Like some things are going to work and some things aren't going to work. And then for the things that work, we just try to figure out like, what's the blueprint for why that was successful and how can we do more things like that? Oh, I love that analogy. That's a really cool analogy. I'm curious on the the still water piece, because the first time I had liquid death, it threw me a little bit of like, oh, I'm drinking still water in a can. And I was like, I like that. That's super cool. Has it has it been like, a, has it been something you've had to educate people on or have people kind of like, you know, figured it out over time? I'm curious about the like still water in the can piece if that had to, you know, be involved with any of the marketing. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we're this, the aluminum can is like aluminum is an infinitely recyclable. So there is definitely a sustainability piece to it, which ties to our tagline around death to plastic. Um, but we know like, you know, putting beverages in a can is not inherently ownable. Like any brand can do that at any point in time. And, you know, brands like Dasani are, you know, selling water out of a can now. So early days, it was strange, I think, for a lot of people, because when you see a skull on the side of the can as well, when it's called liquid death and it looks like beer or energy, people did expect it to be something else. So it always threw people off. But there is a beauty in that in terms of People leaned in and were just way more curious and inquisitive about what this was. So, you know, early days, early fans of Liquid Death, they're, you know, they tell us like, hey, I was at a party and I don't drink anymore and I just had Liquid Death on me. And everyone's like, oh, what are you drinking? This or that beer brand? And they're like, no, this is like water. And they're like, it's water? And they had more questions. So there's a lot of growth baked into just like the name of the product, you know, it being in an aluminum can, of course, um, and the design of it. But there is certainly education, I think, that happens because people sometimes do think it's energy. They think it's beer. Um, and that's kind of changed over time as more people have become aware of the brand. But people think it is that. And I think the other thing that we constantly have to, it's not something that we actively like work on, but I think because our marketing is so supercharged and good and interesting that people almost expect more sometimes when you're just popping open a still can. At the end of the day, it is just water. It is a commodity. It's delicious water. It's amazing. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we're selling, it's uh, almost like a lifestyle brand that just happens to be selling water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. And how did like uh, in-person events and like, I'm curious about that piece because like Expo West uh, in early, like in 2022, like I've never seen a takeover like what Liquid Death did at Expo West. Like I could not turn a corner without seeing someone trying to hand me a Liquid Death can, which I loved and I stayed so hydrated, but like in the line for the bus, like walking through wherever, like there were just people, there was like an army of liquid death brand ambassadors and it was so impressive and that was like one of my favorite parts of expo west and i'm curious about like how those kind of in-person activations have played into the strategy yeah i mean our sales team is pretty insane like those are all our team members there was no like third party models or anything that we hired oh wow yeah it's purely our team um yeah i think what we learned early on like 2019 as we started doing events for the first time it's like we didn't need too much like there's the brand is like interesting enough on its own and kind of the center point for a lot of our activations was this like coffin that we'd retrofitted into a liquid death kind of ice cooler and you know the casket is open and there's liquid death cans kind of inside of it and then we have like you know other displays to kind of help surround it but when you're at a when you're at a trade show 
that's in CPG, you know how inherently boring that is. Like, you know, everyone's brand talking the same things or talking about sustainability and like everything feels very safe. And then here we are with an open casket with cans of water inside. Um, And then at some of them, we also had like our mascot, which we call the thirst executioner also there as well. So yeah, early days, then we just realized like, okay, cool. We have a very simple blueprint, a model for like what we want to do here. It doesn't need to be insane or inherently jazzed up too much. There's enough energy behind it. And as the brand just became more popular through social and digital and at retail, you know, our presence at, you know, at events kind of just dialed up a little bit. We got a little bit more space. We had more people there to help activate it. And it's became more of um, a spectacle than anything before. It was just maybe we had two to three people working a booth and that was kind of all we had in terms of team. And now we've been able to, thankfully, been able to scale it um, from there. Right. Yeah. Are there other like, are there any like campaigns that stand out to you that you've run or like, you know, specific like events or something that either stand out as something you learned a lot from or that was really successful, like just, you know, kind of any stories of, you know, as you've, as you've grown? Yeah. I mean, I think there's like when you're early days, there's success because there's like chatter and then there's success that actually like drives money (laughs) into the account. And for us, we're, 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 we're at a a place with the brand even early on where we still did the things that really drove buzz and awareness while still doing all the quote unquote, like hate this term, best practices that drove revenue. Um, so a lot of our campaigns like were really designed and driven around creating as much chatter or awareness as possible. And so, you know, we're now at year going into year four, you know, we've done a Super Bowl spot. We did a Super Bowl spot earlier this year in like 25 local markets, um, which was successful. Um, but one of our early things was because we had such a community that was developing around this brand in the first like six months to a year, you know, sometimes like retailers would like say no to us, like we would use our like ambassadors to help us out in terms of like not ambassadors, but our community to help help us out and reaching out to some of these different retailers and asking them why they weren't even stocking liquid death. So that might've happened through social, that might've happened through their websites, that might happen through their contact forms. Um, so we really utilize a very like engaged community to help us get on the radar with retailers. I think that was like just a very simple thing that we did, but successful in terms of the number of people who we were thankful enough that would do that for us. Um, other things, I think like campaign wise, you know, we put out like a campaign or a video thing generally every four to six weeks or so, but we had really good success with, um, with this campaign that we did for, with Tony Hawk, uh, the skater. Uh, so Tony Hawk legend. Um, in the skating world, of course, uh, he's an ambassador in the brand. And so we're like, cool, how do we activate something for Tony Hawk? Well, let's make a skate deck. Um, and as a part of it, you know, we have a community called the country club mm-hmm. where you sell your soul for eternity to join our club. And it's like a legally binding document that you sign. Um, and then the early days we would give you like a free case of liquid death on your first order. That was the premise of it. And the idea around this program was just to get more email addresses and phone numbers. It was it was just a better way to do a 10% off, right, for your email address. And so when we were working with Tony, we're like, cool, we'll like, you know, we'll get him to sign his soul. But as a part of that, we'll make the graphics that are read on the board um, contain his actual blood. So we drew his blood, we mixed it in the paint, and the f- 100 or so Tony Hawk boards that we sold for $500 a piece, um, they had actual Tony Hawk in them. <laughs> and so, yeah, we sold out of those like in 10 minutes or so. They started reselling on um, eBay and other places for like $3,000. And that campaign kind of went viral for us. It was like probably our biggest brand moment to date. Um, there was some controversy between like Lil Nas X being like, why is his blood okay? But my blood wasn't okay when he did a collaboration with... Um, these Nike Air Max and I think Mischief uh, a couple of years ago. Quick pause. I had to look up this Tony Hawk campaign. So I found a clip to share with you where they're actually drawing his blood in the video. Hey, what's up? I'm Tony Hawk, and I recently became an ambassador for Liquid Death Mountain Water. Apparently, I didn't read the fine print, and now Liquid Death officially owns my soul and my blood, too. I don't know. It's very confusing. They're taking my blood and we're gonna use it for skateboard graphics. So they're gonna mix my blood into the paint and do a limited run of skateboards using my real blood in the graphics. 
but some of the profits would go towards killing plastic pollution and to building skate parks in underserved communities. Yeah, so I guess go to liquiddeath.com to get skateboards with my blood in it. So wait, if you have my blood, that means you have my DNA. Get the Liquid Death skateboard infused with 100% real Tony Hawk today. Wow, you can own your very own piece of Birdman, but hurry. Supplies are extremely limited, so visit liquiddeath.com slash hawkblood right now. Now back to it. And so, yeah, those were probably the, you know, one thing that's very like tactical and small that all we did was just tap into our community to help us with. And then another thing where we worked with someone who has like, worldwide notoriety, someone like Tony Hawk, um, that we just made a video fairly quickly with that also is super successful, not only in pushing our merchandise side of the business, but just improving the awareness of like, what is this brand Liquid Death? Yeah. Wow. The relationship with Tony Hawk, was that something where like Tony Hawk started drinking Liquid Death and then you were like, hey, we should chat? Or was it like, you know, sending out like samples to people that you thought like matched the you know, match the right vibe? Like, how do you develop like a relationship like that? Yeah, I mean, our early kind of um, initial kind of cohorts were obviously people in action sports, metal and punk. Like that was the first kind of audience that we would market to um, through our paid media targeting or just generally. And we have a a really amazing lifestyle marketing team that's led by um, uh, Styx Nielsen, who is my counterpart. And he has built out a really amazing team. So we have like almost like, um, to put it in marketing terms, like a subject matter expert in every <laughs> industry, right? So we've got like a snowboarder who was a pro snow snowboarder. We have heavy ties in skating. We've got people who work in a bunch of different industries from hip hop to punk, to rock, metal, whatever. And we, you know, seeded a lot of product. And through our, you know, just seeding product, we'd be at events that we needed to be. And we were just fortunate enough to have like celebrities whether they were at concerts or otherwise, just become familiar with the brand. And sometimes their managers would reach out or sometimes we would reach out through a network or a connection. I don't know exactly how the, the Tony Hawk thing materialized and turned into um, a thing, but you know, a lot of celebrities have found out about us just because it's been in the wild. Um, mm -hmm. And in other cases, it's been like us being very methodical with like reaching out to others. So it's been a mixed bag, but we generally want to own spaces where like, it's cool content. People are making cool stuff. They're doing things that are a little bit off the beaten path and a little bit, quote unquote, non-traditional to push the brand forward. Very cool. And on the Country Club membership where you mentioned like you can sell your soul, I've seen that on the website. Like there's also the option to like buy a membership for $125,000 or something like has anyone ever done that? I just that was my first question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we take a like no fucks given approach when it comes to our marketing. And so one of the early, early, earliest things we did when we first launched Country Club is we were selling on our merch store, which at the time only had maybe like 10 t-shirts and hoodies and hats, super limited um, amount of items. And then we also were selling like a, like a 1987 Lamborghini Countach, <laughs> which was like the car that every, you know, boy who's like late thirties, early forties used to have on their walls back in the eighties and nineties. Um, we were going to sell one of those that was wrapped in liquid death for like $385,000. So for us, like on our site, even e-com wise, we always would just like throw something dumb out there and just for like interest to make it interesting. And on the Lamborghini, for example, I think like every month we would have something like close to a thousand people would add it to their carts just to see if it was real. <laughs> And of that a thousand, we maybe had like 200 or so that would go into like step two of like adding in like shipping and payment info. Um, but that was kind of the, the genesis around, okay, let's continue to sell stupid stuff on the site. And so the next thing that we did is like we, um, for one of our Halloween ideas, we cursed our water with like a witch doctor. Um, and we were like, okay, if you want to remove the curse, you have to buy this curse reversal spell on our website. And it was actually a, a actual spell that the witch doctor created for us. And we sold it for 99 cents. And then we sold free green screen footage where you could do anything with our executioner mascot through the green screen footage that we had and make whatever you wanted to make from. We gave that away for free. And then on the country club membership thing, yeah, when we were retu retuning country club, we were like, all right, country clubs are like exclusive and expensive. And it to, you know, it costs a lot of money to get into a country club through application processes and interviews and all that stuff. All right. If you don't want to sell your soul to us, like we'll let you buy it for $125,000. And the little nugget of an insight in that was, was like, we would have people sell their soul to us. And this is a very, very small percentage, but then sometimes they'll email us back and be regretful that they did it. 
And they're like, can I get my soul back? And we'd be like, no, you've given it to us for, for, for a lifetime, for eternity. So you, you can't have it back. Um, so that's kind of like the formula or like kind of process that we would follow of just like selling things at weird prices and very obscure kind of oddball items. I love it. That's so fun. I'm going to link the country club membership in the show notes just because I think everyone should check it out and like read some of the reviews of just, yeah, people like when I sold my soul, sold a liquid death, it changed my life forever. I'll never go back to Poland Spring or like just there's so there's so much good content on there. That's awesome. I'm also curious about how, you know, you mentioned the, you know, building up the the e-commerce and the community. Like what did that you know, look like to help kind of, you know, build this community of people that are hyped to murder their thirst? Like, was it, you know, like you and team members, like one-on-one interacting with people on social or like, how did you really like nurture that community, especially in the early days to create this group of people that are then willing to like call their local retailer or whatever? Like, I'm curious about what the early days of that looked like. Yeah, I think early days, it was just, we were so fresh and had a, such a different approach that in the kind of people that we were targeting in the groups that we were targeting, it was like, wow, there's a brand that's actually like speaking my language and kind of speaking to me and with me for the first time. So I think we got like a lot of just like natural brand love that way. And then as we, you know, developed ads for like paid social, which was was our primary channel, like many like D2C brands um, early on, as we built out like our paid ads, our ads always were just like weird and different. Like some ads would even tell you like, don't buy this product. Or we would take, you know, a lot of the hate that we would get and we would use those hater comments in our ads. So, you know, we take this comment from a person being like, you know, I curse everyone who works at this company is going to go bankrupt within two years. Da, da, da. We would use that in an ad and with like a little thing that just said, people love us on the internet. <laughs> and it's like, as those ads started running and people started just responding in comments early days, it was us trying to like respond to every comment and, you know, go up against haters. And then what we noticed is like after a month, three, four, five, six, you know, we just had an army of people that were just doing that for us and on our behalf. And I think that's like an important thing is, you know, a lot of startup founders that I talk to is one or two little people that say something about their brand. They want to like retool everything, right? They want to shift everything. And we used, you know, hater comments for a positive thing for us in ads. So I think how we spoke and it was a very like personal touch on how we spoke in ads was was like an important part in how we kind of like put out content because it was entertainment led. It We didn't come in there with like, oh, here's these infinitely recyclable cans and, you know, with these electrolytes and this alkalinity, like we were there to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. And when you make someone laugh, when you make someone think or whatever, like you have a way more of a connection to them. So that's how that's really the genesis and the premise of the brand is that. And then over time, you know, as we built out like our retention channels and email, people would get emails from us that just sounded like your friend would have messaged you or emailed you that way, you know, or as we send texts, like it just became very personal. So at the end of the day, it was like people just like the brand. And for what it was, it was almost like making a new best friend versus being like, this is this is a brand that I love. It's like, this is a person that I really love and, and connect with. Right. Yeah, that's super interesting. And for your current role with with driving retail, I'm curious about kind of the that like launching in retail and being in so many retailers around the country, like what it looks like and has looked like for you to to, you know, drive marketing that that you can you see a see a change in store velocities and like how you've intentionally worked on that and, you know, how the the earlier work you did has has played into that. But I'm curious about like the retail, you know, help having your marketing drive retail sales now. Yeah. So the way that's kind of been split now is like, you know, we have a marketing team that's really there to grow awareness of the brand and put out really cool content and amazing stuff and social. Like that's, you know, what they're really pushing and driving towards. And then when it comes to like me and my team, you know, we're thinking about like, how do we move velocities? And it starts from like us figuring out one, when we're at retail, because there's so much like growth baked into the brand, we've been able to really start out of the gate at a lot of retailers with really, really strong velocities. Um, And that's because like one, a lot of people now know us 
Um, two is when you're in a water aisle and you see blue bottle, blue, every plastic blue and white bottle that talks about alkalinity and da, da 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 And now you see this thing, you're like, whoa, what's this beer doing on this in the water aisle? And people will get a little bit more curious. So that's been helpful in terms of just like having stopping power in aisle. Um, we've also been really, you know, fortunate enough to have like end caps and displays that are really insane displays that we're able to win at retail that sometimes they're in the shape of a skull or sometimes they have like a coffin thing and people, it's just disruptive in a sea of sameness at retail where everything kind of feels and looks the same to see the way that we market. That's been disruptive at a kind of more physical level. And then on a digital level, like we've really been mindful and continue to invest and been early in like investing into platforms like Instacart. Like we just were named number three on the fastest growing emerging brands on Instacart list for 2022. Oh, wow. Um, so we have invested pretty significantly in, in Instacart and started off with a very, very small test, $5,000, super tiny, just to see how it would perform. And it crushed great ROAS great performance. And then we just have slowly just scaled and scaled and scaled and scaled that up. Um, we're doing that right now with the retailer media platforms like Kroger and on target.com and other ones where we're starting off. We always start off very small just to kind of see how things perform. And then in lockstep with how our retail footprint is growing, we continue to increase our investment so that we've been super mindful of, you know, how we put ad dollars behind driving velocities at retail. And then I think the other part of it is just like, we have a pretty, you know, well engaged with website. And we've done things like invest in our store locator, um, showcasing and letting people know where they could buy it at retail through either buying it online or availability in store through platforms like Pair Commerce, which have been really helpful for us, letting people know they could pick it up at retail. We've also connected the digital and physical worlds together. So we have a rewards program where you earn skulls, which is kind of the currency for every dollar that you spend on Liquid Death. Um, and before it was like, you know, you could earn a skull for buying liquid death water on the website or merch. And now it's like you can earn skulls through buying things at retail. Oh, so wow. if, if you bought it at retail, you come through the website, you upload the receipt, you get verification, da, 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 you'll earn skulls from it. So we're bringing like these two worlds together with it, which I think a lot of CPG brands always struggle with is how do you connect the physical and the digital worlds? And we've been able to do that well right now, but there's still a lot more we can be doing to make that even more, you know, seamless and integrated for next year and beyond. Wow. Yeah. That's super interesting. Have you seen good like customer engagement on like going and uploading their receipts to, to get skulls? Yeah, absolutely. And it's because like we have a merch program now that's almost in the style, like how a streetwear brand would like think about merch and release merch. So, you know, we put out anywhere between one to two things every week. We drop it on Tuesdays and Fridays. We work with artists. We have limited edition things. We do things beyond apparel. And because the merch has become even more valuable and, and, and um, you know, just popular, when people buy it now at retail, because it's it's super easy now to find Liquid Death at retail, um, easier than it was, obviously, but people still want to rock our merchandise. So they're like, cool, I'll buy it and I'll upload it. And so when we first launched the program, I don't know, we were getting somewhere like 500 people a month that were doing it, but now we're getting like four or five X that amount every single month where people are uploading their receipts. And it's still admittedly a bit hard to do that. And we're working on tech right now to make that even easier for people to upload receipts and to earn skulls. That's a, an initiative of ours. But yeah, people have been keen on, you know, just ways to just get, you know, points against their merch they can buy on the website. Um, We've also done that on our cases, like our QR code on future cases, we'll talk about like, hey, you can also buy really cool and sick merch once you scan this QR code. One more quick pause. After hearing this merch hype, I had to test it out for myself. I saw Liquid Death was running a campaign with Isle that if you bought a case of Liquid Death at a retailer and text the receipt, you'd get a code for a free awesome t-shirt. I followed the instructions and got the text response. There are no strings attached other than the fact that your new shirt will become your one true best friend and may convince you to throw away all your other clothing as a sign of loyalty. If I'm still wearing that shirt at Expo West, this is your permission to intervene. So we're doing everything in our in our in in our kind of um, power right now to continue to push this like retail to merch kind of connection and digital connection. Yeah, interesting. Just kind of continuing to build that super fan base that's committed to you know yeah. anything anything that that comes out and they're just they're ready because they feel they feel a part of something. Yeah, and. 
And the one, you know, platform we haven't talked about, which is Amazon. So Amazon is our biggest retailer. We're the number one water on Amazon. Oh, wow. Um, so we're number one in mineral water. And that's like us beating Avion and Fiji. These are brands yeah. that for, you know, long, long, long time. We're number two in sparkling because sparkling ice is just dominating uh, carbonated water. Um, so we're number one and number two, you know, we're in the top 30 now in grocery. We started off the year at like 750 and, you know, we first, you know, we've been selling on Amazon since the beginning. Um, but on Amazon now, you know, we used to think that, Hey, as retail grows, there could be more of an impact, like, you know, on.com. Cause you see it in retail, then you just buy it on Amazon, but we're doing studies with Amazon. We've done a study with Amazon that shows that we're actually driving pretty significant return on ad spend, not only just in the Amazon ecosystem, but also what happens at retail. Um, so it's been like a mutually kind of symbiotic relationship in terms of like, as we invest in ads and advertising on the Amazon side of things, not only are we crushing it on amazon.com and app, we're also seeing that play out in terms of awareness growth and velocity growth at retail as well. Yeah. Wow. And Amazon is an, such an interesting channel. Is that is that something to grow that channel that you hired team members that were like experts in Amazon? Or is that something that you applied your like, you know, test and learn methodology to like existing team members? I'm curious how you like learned about Amazon and like really got it going. Yeah, for I would say the first maybe year plus of the business, we kind of just, we were doing the things in Amazon that many small brands do, which is like you invest in like sponsored products and keywords and all that stuff. And there's just only so much scale that you can get out of that. And then we, um, we partnered with my big focus was like, we need to grow Amazon beyond what we have. And the next way for us to do that is through Amazon DSP, where we're now targeting audiences and not just people who are looking for products. And then, so we brought on an agency partner um, uh, named Tenuity. And when we started with Tenuity, my big focus was like, look, we need to 5X this Amazon business in the next six months. Like, how do we do that? Through DSP. And Amazon was very tiny for us at, the, at that time. We had a third-party relationship with Amazon and we just went really heavy and invested very methodically on the DSP side of things. And we just saw month over month, like really good growth, 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 growth. And internally, you know, it was essentially just me and another team member kind of managing our agency partnership where we were kind of driving a lot of the strategy. They were doing a lot of the tactical day-to-day -day execution. Um, and that helped us see pretty significant growth. And like where we are now is, you know, we, we spend about 10 X what we did, um, you know, a year and a half ago on Amazon because of the growth that we've seen, um, on that site. So we're doing new things. Like we continue to invest in DSP. Think about audio ads. We're doing streaming connected TV. You know, we're thinking about how we use Alexa and voice. So we're, we're rounding out the entire ecosystem as Amazon being by far our number one retailer. Um, we're, we'll continue to invest in that through bodies and, or just like dollars. Right. Can you explain a little bit more about Amazon DSP? Like, I know you gave a little bit, but I'm curious a little, a little more context on that specific program, because I think it requires a little bit more of an investment to to do the program, but then it, and it works a little bit differently. Yeah. So Amazon DSP is um, essentially like a programmatic media buying uh, arm of Amazon. And rather than just like targeting people who are searching for something on Amazon or placing your ads against a competitive product. Um, or buying or bidding on your brand terms or competitive brand terms, DSP gives you scale outside of that. So not only what people are doing on amazon.com, but as they're moving around through places online. So that could be apps, that could be third-party websites, that could be other things where you could have an ad for your brand show up because you've identified this person as someone in market or someone who has a good chance to like buy your product. And you could set up DSP in many ways. It could be all about awareness where you're just trying to you know, get net new people into your brand and it's all about awareness. You could also use DSP for things like retargeting where someone lands on your product pages and leaves without buying. There's no way to do that with the kind of core suite of ad products on Amazon if you're not doing DSP. And so through DSP, you can now retarget those people that have left your website where you don't have an email address, you don't know what you could do. And then there's also a loyalty component on DSP too, which is people who have bought your brand before through Amazon who you want to improve, you know, replenishment and frequency, purchase frequency with. So you can then use loyalty targeting where you can say, hey, Jesse's bought Liquid Death once in the last 60 days, but she hasn't bought again. Let's get ads in front of her with a message that can get her to, you know, replenish. And so it's now more of a full kind of funnel approach 
to Amazon advertising in terms of reaching people versus just being reliant on a very, the lower funnel part of it. Right. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, that's very interesting. I also, I remember seeing a conversation in uh, Slack that was popular that you were part of about using, I don't know how to pronounce it, the Okendo or Okendo attributes. And I'm curious about how you've used like a platform like that for like ratings and reviews. And if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Kind of a weird thing happened early days of liquid death where we started to see people because at the time we didn't have reviews on our website. We only had it just through Amazon. And we started to see people leaving reviews that were almost like just like creative fan fiction, like they would write reviews almost like they're trying to out duel us for like a more creative paragraph. Um, and we're like, okay, wow, this is like interesting. Like people are really writing fun, clever, smart as hell reviews. And so we're like, okay, well, let's bring reviews onto our website. And the initial thing we were running up against early because everything we do is very thought out. <laughs> it, it's not like just haphazardly thrown out. And we're like, okay, if we're going to do reviews, it can't just be like regular reviews, like, cause it's water. Like how, how are you going to like really review water in ways that feel like fun? And so we were source uh, talking to a couple of different review platforms. We decided to use Okendo early days. And it was just like, you know, the attributes that we selected was like, do you like people to think that you're an alcoholic? Like, like strongly agree or strongly disagree. Like we created these attributes that were just like funny um, and still let people review the water however they wanted to. But we created these attributes where we're just like, yeah. do you look like you live in a camper van? Yes or no? Like rate on this scale or this scale. And so, yeah, we use those ratings and reviews to just like one, still be brand led and be funny and interesting and engaging. But then it also like it gets people in the mindset of just trying to outduel other people who are like leaving really fun and, and interesting reviews. And when we first launched reviews on our website, we saw like a 25% conversion rate lift just by adding those reviews on our website. Oh, wow. Pretty straightforward. Like, I think it's just like given that, oh, you add ratings and reviews to the site, it's going to perform better. And it generally does. But like, we took it a level up where it just became entertainment as well. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how we approach that. Wow. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I'm curious about just like the, you know, the cult, maintaining the culture of creativity, because like, Ad Age put Liquid Death as their number eight marketer of the year, which is amazing because that list was like Walmart, Airbnb, like these huge brands. And then you've got Liquid Death on the list using a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a budget that uh, that Walmart used in one of the posts I saw. Um, And so I'm curious, like how from a creativity um, and like culture perspective, do you like foster and encourage your team to like maintain, you know, the level and the edginess, because I feel like there can be this push as brands get bigger to kind of like almost get a little more generic, a little more boring. So like, how do you keep that culture up to make sure that everybody's like, you know, they're, they're, they're still continuing to have that, that vibe and the energy that you had in the early days? Yeah, I think we're just really extremely fortunate to have, you know, like a leader and a CEO like Mike, who's an advertising guy. In an advertising creative where he knows like he spent his whole career coming up with really amazing ideas that didn't get sold and how frustrating that is just being a creative to come up with really insane, amazing ideas that like, you know, no offense to anyone, but like really boring brand marketers never said yes to. Right. And so that's the DNA of this brand is like we want to do everything different and how we approach everything has to be from like answering a question like what's the dumbest thing we can do will people give a shit about what we're doing would we care about what if we saw this would we actually like stop and pay attention to it and so that kind of permeates like the creative process and how we built out a creative team and how we work is like it has to answer some of those questions um and everything is designed to just really get attention and awareness and earn media out of it like we don't have the dollars that these big brands have as you know, CPG is a super expensive space to like just plan and be successful in. We don't have the dollars of all those brands, so we have to get attention and capture it. And so that's really truly the DNA. And, you know, we hire people who have a little bit of a rebellious spirit, but even people who come from like bigger brands like Red Bull, or if you've worked at other CPG places, even brands that are like pushing the boundaries forward, we always have to like, you know, like de-brainwash them from like the way that they've done it before, right? Like everyone would just, I think that's everyone's human nature just to do the same things over and over and the things that have worked well before to continue to do them. 
But that just means like work isn't going to get interesting and more interesting. If you just like, you know, you're a senior brand guy that goes from one CPG brand to another. And it's just like, it just feels like the same stuff over and over and over again. And if we just look at advertising, that's really what it is. Like any ad that you can think of, it's just a formula that everyone is following. And for us, it's about just like rewriting the formula and making that formula very unique and inherently us. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's super great. Um, I'm also like, are there any, like you just, you just mentioned there some like questions and, you know, ways of looking at evaluating things, but I'm curious if there's other like guiding questions when faced with the like tough decision or deciding what to do, any questions you, other questions you walk yourself through when deciding what to do next in a tough situation? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, your earlier point about like, as brands get bigger, they tend to kind of get a little more stale and generic. I think for us, you know, we always try to balance like, what is the thing that's going to like, maybe, you know, drive some store velocity and retail velocity or like online velocity, but also do it in a way that feels like us. Um, but when it comes down to like, questions like we, you know, we're still like many CPG brands and emerging brands, like trying to build out a data set for, you know, for a brand that is growing as fast as we're growing, like it's almost an inherently just like impossible to know every single thing because like the audience composition is changing so frequently and things, the kind of campaigns that we're making and what we learn from them are so diverse and varied. Um, so we just try to lean into data as much as possible. And, you know, when I talk to people, I think sometimes like there's this idea that we're just like these like kids in a lab that just like make these things and just put them out there and just like see what happens. But there's a lot of just data analysis and just thought that goes behind the kind of things that we're doing. And Ultimately, when it comes to decision making, we try to just like really dissect and get into the data as deep as possible. And then there's other things that we just do by feel. Like you're not going to have a data on everything. You're not going to have data on everything. You're not going to be able to like fully quantify the return on investment on every single thing. But we do things that just feel right for the brand that we think will push the brand forward in a way that doesn't alienate our current fans in a way that, you know, make sure our partners are, are on board lockstep with us. And continues to like become like a model for like disruptive kind of behavior in marketing. That's that's how we kind of approach like tougher decisions. Yeah, that's very helpful. And is there anything for 2023 that you mentioned at the beginning? There's some some new things coming out, but you know, what should we be on the the look out for in 2023, both from a like consumer standpoint and also like, you know, what else are you thinking about from a business standpoint? Yeah, I think con- we're going to continue to raise the bar on just like insane creativity. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff that we've planned for the first half of next year, which would be amazing. Um, some new forays into territories that we haven't been before, which is going to be really fun. That's kind of on the creative side. Um, yeah, on the innovation side, you know, we're going to be launching teas uh, soon. So that'll be new kind of category for us to kind of figure out and determine, you know, how that performs and how successful we are with that. So that'll be just even more things for people to connect with the brand on in a very stale category like tees. Um, and then just, I guess like just business wise, like where we are, like continue to roll out, improve door counts, you know, working on velocity growth. And then, you know, thinking about our digital platforms and our channels like Amazon and retailer media to continue to drive those velocities. Um, that's kind of next phase of, of the business. Um, and like with us, like, you know, we have a pretty thorough strategic planning process right now, but based on kind of where we are, like we learn a lot of things very quickly and we move and update and adjust off them very quickly too. So, you know, we're still, even though we're a series D brand, we're still super nimble and flexible with how we pivot in and out of like any kind of the channels that we're in or what we do and how we optimize and, or the creativity that goes behind and like fueling the awareness. Growth. Right. And, and one last question would be, how do you, cause this is all a ton of work, building a business that's super fast growth, growing the team. Like all of this is like an incredible amount of work. Like how do you stay motivated or take care of yourself? And like, just, I, I think it's help can be helpful for our audience to hear how people kind of, you know, are in this for the long run. Like, you know, how, what does that look like for you to just like stay motivated and keep coming back every day and keep building this? Yeah. I think the one thing that like <laughs> a, a lot of us have here in leadership and I definitely have is like, like a little bit of like a chip on our shoulder, like an inferiority complex in the sense that I just want to be at a point where like, I can just tell someone I work at liquid death and like everyone that I tell that to goes, Oh, I know liquid death and we're not there yet. Like, and you know, when I post things on LinkedIn, I always say we're just getting started. And that's what, how I truly feel like 
as an outsider, people might look at this brand and be like, wow, man, they've accomplished so much and we have and super grateful and thankful for like where we are. But I feel like we're at the such a tip of the iceberg in terms of the stuff that we can be doing, not just in CPG, but with entertainment content, with merchandise, with like so many other things that well, like round out what this brand truly is in the world. And so for me, you know, staying motivated isn't hard because there's just like so many challenges left ahead of us where it just continues to feel like 2019 when there was like five of us in a room trying to figure it out. It still feels the same because now it's just like, you know, that same number of people within a department trying to figure out another problem or another space that's just brand new to us where it's like almost like startups within startups happening where we're constantly being challenged by something new. So that's how I think a lot of us keep our motivation and our drive is like, while we've been successful, like there's just so much more world domination ahead of us that we could be doing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, this has been so awesome. And I encourage everyone to go to liquiddeath.com, follow Liquid Death on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all the places. Go check out the country club. Um, I hope everyone and, you know, find it a retailer near you because there's definitely so many options now if, if people haven't tried Liquid Death or get more in their life. So this has just been so fun to have you on the show. We're so like glad that you're in our Slack community. I'll link your LinkedIn in the notes as well so the people can follow you there. But this has just been so fun. So, so appreciate you taking the time to share with us today. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. If you want more liquid death in your life, I feel compelled to tell you, perhaps by my t-shirt, that they have a section on their website called the Time Waster 5000. It proclaims, need to kill some time? Watch every dumb thing we've ever made. I can confirm it did murder some of my free time, but I consider it well spent. Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation, and I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, we'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer, and on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.